Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Good morning, Radiant family. How are you guys doing? Man, he is good, is he not? He is good. Whether you know it or not, Christmas is this Saturday. Is he still good, right? Christmas is Saturday, but is he still good? You know, I bet that Tanger, Tanger Outlet right now is a frantic mess. You with me? I bet you there's about half the radio. I shouldn't say that. People at Tanger Outlet right now in the middle of chaos. Because Christmas is Saturday. Right, Kerry? Man, I just made myself anxious. Saying it out loud. I like that. I like that. Third week of Advent, family. Third week of Advent. We talked about hope, peace, and now joy today. And hope and peace and joy, whether you realize it or not, are promises that God makes to us. It's not something that we have to generate or muster up or produce on our own. Are you with me? Hope, peace, and joy are promises that God makes to us. And we experience those promises right now in part, partially. But someday he promises that we will experience hope, peace, and joy in the full with him. And when it comes to joy, look, we hear the word joy this time of year 100 times more than we do any other time of year, right? I mean, it's in lights, it's in decor, it's in commercials. Yes, I've already cried at a couple of Publix commercials this year. I mean, this is the time of year that my wife, we drive to Mount Pleasant to do one thing, and that is to see her name, Joy, in eight-foot lights at the town center in Mount Pleasant. It's the time of year where I, where I see, see my wife marking off territory in every room. Joy, 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 joy. Pillows, ornaments, towels. It's all about joy, right? But when it comes to joy, we have to ask the question, what is it? Right? I mean, what is it really? What is joy? Is it just a deeper form of happiness? Now look, I've heard a number of preachers give happiness a hard time. Anybody here want to be happy? I want to be happy. Happiness is a legit emotion. It's on the wheel of emotions, right? Google it. It's on there. I like happiness. I think God likes us to be happy sometimes. Happiness is a legit emotion. And joy involves our emotions, but it is so much more than that. So much more than that. When we look at biblical joy today, we're going to see that it's not only so much more than an emotion, we're going to see that it is critical to navigating this broken world between the time that Jesus came, Advent, right, and the time He's coming again. 
that this gift of joy is critical to navigating the in-between like we've been talking about the last three weeks of his having come and of his coming again. Listen, happiness, one person said it this way, happiness depends on happenings. Happiness depends on happenstance. Happiness depends on the external for the most part. It comes and goes and it's momentary. But when we talk about biblical joy, it has very little to nothing to do with what is happening in me or even what is happening around me. Did I say Christmas is Saturday, guys? That's less than a week. Joy doesn't have to do with what's happening in me or what's happening around me, but it has everything to do with who God is and what he has already done. It has to do with the goodness of God. When we look at biblical joy, it's an anchor. It's a choice that we should fight for. It, it, it is a promise it is a gift that we receive that is of endless supply. It, it becomes a part of our state of being or a part of our character. It's an assurance or a quiet confidence. And it's not based on my circumstances, this assurance or this confidence. It is based on who God is and what he has done. That's joy. And this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to take a deep dive into biblical joy. Where do we see it? What does it look like? How do we walk in it? How do we get it? How do we maintain it? And to do that, I want to do a flyover. I just want to do just a few highlights throughout the Bible where it talks about joy. And then we're going to pray together and we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3. So let's start our flyover in Philippians, right? What are some of the places we see in the Bible of biblical joy that mentions biblical joy? Paul, the Apostle Paul, followed one of the greatest followers of Jesus of all time, wrote the book of Philippians. And as he wrote the book of Philippians, he, he mentioned joy or joyful or rejoice or rejoicing 13 times. And if you look in your Bibles, of course, we don't have this. It doesn't work in your phones. But if you were to look in a Bible, Philippians is a short book, four short chapters, probably about four pages in a printed Bible. And, and Paul mentions joy 13 times. In all the books that he wrote in the New Testament, he mentioned joy or joyful or rejoice or rejoicing 21 times. And in fact, one commentator called the book of Philippians, the book of joy. And, and when we think about that, we're like, well, that's really cool. But if we grasp the context of where Paul was writing this book from, we would ask the question, how could he have joy? Much less write a book of joy. Because the context was this. Paul was imprisoned. He was actually in physical chains for the most part of this imprisonment, probably in a dungeon that had a lot of bad characteristics. Paul was waiting for the set of footsteps that he would hear that would pronounce his death sentence. And Paul wrote a book where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what does a captor do with that joy? Hey, dude that wants to put me to death, to live as Jesus, it's awesome. And to die is gain. I'll be with him. What do you do with that? 
He said, rejoice in the Lord always as, as, as he's, he's rotting away, waiting to die in a dungeon. You think about the context and you think about this. Joy, 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 joy. Thirteen times. But Paul wasn't alone. Very quickly before we pray, look at several more. If you thumb through the scriptures, you turn over to James. And in James chapter 1, the writer of James says, Consider it pure joy. He had to add this adjective. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What? I don't want to face a trial of any kind, much less many kinds. Are you with me? Pure joy. What is that? Hebrews 12. It says, we should look at Jesus as an example because he's, he endured suffering. He endured despise and shame. He endured through the cross for what? For the joy set before him on the other side. He fixed his eyes on the joy of being with the Father and of accomplishing the rescuing work of redeeming us Death, burial, resurrection. And he set his eyes on that joy and endured all. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. If you turn back a little bit further. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. It says, joy and poverty. Talking about the people in the church of Corinth. Joy and poverty welled up together into generosity. Now wait a minute. What does joy and poverty have to do with each other? And how does it produce generosity? Somehow, those who were experiencing poverty because of the joy, the gift of joy that we're experiencing from God, shared with those who were even worse off. Acts chapter 5, you turn back even a little bit further, turn back toward Acts, and you get to Acts chapter 5, and, and you see that there were followers of Jesus who were sharing the good news, and they were arrested for it. And as they were brought before the courts, they were sentenced to punishment, which was whipping. They were to be beaten and whipped and skin literally torn from their backs. And it says they left the courts exclaiming loudly, we count it all joy to suffer for his name and for his glory. How do you do that? How do you do that? Even the Christmas story. We talked about it in our small groups this week. Even the Christmas story. Mary breaks out in song of praise. And we know it as Mary's song. And she breaks out in joyful rejoicing and praise. But, but think about her circumstances. Don't sanitize the Christmas story either. Because, listen, she had left home. She had gone far away to the hill country because she's a 14 or 15-year-old pregnant and she can't explain how and, and, and she's not officially married yet and she leaves home and everything she knows and her family and her friends probably to avoid the shame and to avoid the, 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 the judgment of other people. She finds herself in a conversation with Elizabeth who's also miraculously pregnant because of her age and Elizabeth heaps praise toward her as the Holy Spirit leads her to, and as Mary is encouraged, even in the middle of all these horrible, circum difficult circumstances, she breaks out in joyful praise. 
Even the Old Testament gets into the act. Saw this verse a few weeks ago in, in Habakkuk, even a prophet of the Old Testament. I mean, there's hundreds of examples throughout Scripture. In Habakkuk, it says, though the fig tree doesn't bud, and though the fields don't produce any crops, and though there's no sheep in my pen, and there's no cattle in my barns, I will triumph in my God. I will rejoice in He who cares for me. When we look at biblical joy, it is radically different than happiness. When we look at biblical joy, we could just say this. Either we have to say that James and Paul and Habakkuk and the disciples and Mary and hundreds of other examples in Scripture. We either have to say that they are completely delusional or they know something about joy that we don't. Or if you're me, testifying for a minute, that we sometimes not only forget, but resist. Let's pray. Father, I know that you want us to fight for joy. Even in times that are challenging. In times that we carry a lot of weight, a lot of concerns constantly. But God, you have built your people to be bright lights as we live in the joy that you would have us to fight for. Father, I pray this morning that in each one of our lives that, Father, we can see in your truth that we can have a deeply rooted, unshakable, persevering, contagious joy that defines our life. And anchor no matter what we go through. That we may receive joy from you and also represent you as a people of joy in this dark world. Father, move me out of the way and, and teach us about this joy that can be ours. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Listen, it's true that God wants us to fight for joy. He wants us to receive joy. And even as we receive joy and, experiencing, and experience joy, it makes us hungry and it makes us ache f to fix our eyes on the day that that joy will be complete. So there's three things I want to talk about today. Three things in terms of living as a joyful people. How do we fight for joy? Three things. First thing is this. Rehearse the goodness of God. Rehearse the goodness of God. As we rehearse the goodness of God, it will make room for us to receive more of joy as a gift. And as we experience that joy, it will cause us to hunger for more joy someday. Those are the three things. Right along with Advent. Having come in between, coming again. And so when we think about rehearsing the goodness of God, even as a discipline, rehearsing the goodness of God, it's important in terms of the foundation for what it means to fight for joy. 
Look at Philippians chapter 3. Let's go back where we started the introduction in Philippians with Paul, right, in the, right a little bit past the middle of this book in Philippians chapter 3. Look at these verses, 7 through 10. I think we'll have through 9 on the screen. I'm going to add one more. Philippians 3 verse 7 says, but everything was a gain to me. Now, context-wise, Paul has just listed in his last several verses all the things that he would put his confidence in, all the things where he would find his joy. And he said, listen, I would give up my heritage, my education, my position, my skills, my reputation, all of my relationships. I would give up my own righteousness. And Paul, as a Jew, was as righteous as they came. He was bordering on perfect righteousness, at least as it was defined by Jewish law. And Paul said, context-wise, he's saying, I will give up everything. I will give up all of that. All of that I will give up, for I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. I have determined, I have considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Again, I consider everything. In other words, nothing can compare to the goodness of God. Nothing. Even the best things in life can't compare to the goodness of God. So I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value. This word here means to, to, to be overabounding of great worth. Value of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus in this intimate relationship that I have with him. Continue reading. Because of him, his goodness, right? I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Now Paul goes hard, right? <laughs> I not only consider them as a loss, I consider them in comparison, not that they're in a battle against each other, but in comparison to the goodness of Jesus, I consider everything else in my life garbage, manure. Why? So that I might gain Christ. So that I might be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Because here's my goal, verse 10. Here's my goal. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Notice Paul says, my goal is to, is to know Him and to walk in His life. Paul's rehearsing God's goodness. Are you with me? Paul says, Jesus is so good. Who he is and what he's already done, he is so good that everything else in comparison just doesn't compare. I mean, we look in these verses, and here, here's the truth. Paul has made a determination. Paul has made a choice that Jesus is better than. And so many times I have to ask myself this question. Have I made that choice? That Jesus is better than? Is he better than my possessions? Is he better than my accomplishments? Is, is, he, is he better than my sins and addictions where I run to hide? Is he better than my comfort? Is he better than my freedom? 
Is he better than my reputation? Is he better than all of my relationships? Is he better than my own holiness? Here's where we get caught up even as Christians sometimes, as followers of Jesus. even, Even in that sometimes, as Paul references, it becomes all about what God is doing in me or how he wants to use me versus Jesus himself. Listen, the end goal is not what God does with me or not how God uses me. Paul says the end goal is that I might know him. And walk in his life. You could say it this way. You could say it this way, that consistently walking in joy, which I struggle with personally. I'm just being up front. Consistently walking in joy means that I am an avid student of the goodness of Jesus. Or you could say it in the opposite. You could say, this is what hit me coming down the road of, 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 a couple of months ago before we even started studying for this message. Driving home from doing a, a church planner resident, leading a church planner residency in Winston-Salem. I, I, I won't forget, I was driving through Charlotte. And it was almost like this truth just came straight, just So listen, if you're not walking in joy, you're not a good student of who I am. You're not a good student of my goodness, of who I am and what I have already done. And I struggle with it sometimes. Listen, we all do, right? Am I alone? All right, come on, help me out a little bit more than that. Nobody struggles with joy. Look, we struggle with sometimes, right? We struggle with agitation and cynicism and pessimism and bitterness. Why? Because I turn from my joy and I start debating the goodness of God. Mm. That landed on me. I don't know about anybody else. I start debating, is he better than? I start debating, is he bigger than my pain? I start debating, right? I lean away, I turn away from my joy that is in him. It doesn't move, but I turn away from it. I start debating his goodness. My wife, uh, a couple months ago, she said, you have to get the picture. This is my wife, Joy, J-O-I. She said, I think I'm losing my joy. <laughs> and she starts a series of counseling visits. Because, listen, it's, it's so common to us right now because of carrying our own weights, because of carrying the weights of those around us, because of all the news that we hear, sometimes we just have to cut it off, Right? And we begin, to, we begin to lean away or turn away or look at something else or focus on something else a little bit more. We lose our focus on who he is and what he has already done and his goodness. Because, listen, in, the, in these verses, Paul is saying, if Jesus never did another thing for me, he is still good. If he never did what he... 
anything other than what he's already done, he is still good. He, he lived a life that I couldn't live. He died a death I should have died. He, he made me right, it said in the verses in Philippians 3. He made me righteous, clothed me in robes of righteousness, made me right, adopted me as a son or a daughter, and, and no one can ever take that away from me. He filled me with his life. He gave me this intimate relationship. He is with me, for me, and walking before me, and he will complete this joy someday. If he never lifted a finger again, he is still good. And yet we get weighted down. It's understandable. We've done panels in here on mental health twice in the past six months. Use all the resources, we say. And at the same time as my wife walked through that, one of the things she came out the other side with, besides some good tools and other things that she was helped with, one of the things she came out the other side with was this. I realized I was, I was looking at Jesus through the pains of the world instead of looking at the pains of the world through Jesus and his goodness. Now that'll preach right there. I'd invite her up, but she'd never do it. I mentioned in a sermon a couple weeks ago, I mentioned in a sermon a couple weeks ago that we had, we had gone to see the, the Chosen Christmas episode at the theater, Northwoods Theater, and, and I hate to even go back to that story because I'm about to confess something I would rather not, but we had decided we would go. I think it was a Thursday or whatever, and we live at the end of Ashley Phosphate where Dorchester Road is, and Northwood Cinema is down, you know, I-26, so it's a few miles down Ashley Phosphate, and even at 5.15 on a weekday, it would usually take 20, 25 minutes. So the movie's at 10 till 7, we leave at, if, or 5 till 7, we leave at 5.15, and we think, well, we'll have time for dinner, we'll have time for the movie. Uh, there, there'll be a little bit of traffic, but if everything, everything is normal. Listen, we sat on Ashley Phosphate for an hour and 15 minutes. Bumper to bumper, stuck, couldn't get out, couldn't turn left, couldn't turn right, there was no other route. Have you guys seen the traffic at this time of year? You with me? Is it not worthy of our frustration? I'm just trying to let myself off the hook here a little bit. Just trying to ease my way. Listen, an hour and 15 minutes, and I was frustrated. I was hot. And, and then we're watching Chosen, the Christmas episode, and Mary's in this structure giving birth, and she's far from home and no family around her, no midwife. I mean, all she has is this dude named Joseph. You know, he's like, yeah, I've done this before, right? You're going to give birth. You know, you, the, the lamb's legs, you grab them. You, I don't know. I'm, and this, is all, this is all the help she has. This is her only hope, Right? And I'm still thinking, but God, did you see the traffic? It was horrible. Look, the world, the flesh, and the devil attack our joy all the time. All the time. And the favorite tactic is this. I think I heard Pastor Philip say this. The favorite tactic is this. They want us to... Not focus on the joy that is in his goodness, but focus on the circumstances of our life. And the tactic makes the circumstances seem huge and his goodness seem small. Listen, I can lose my happiness due to circumstances, but when I quote using this word loosely, when I lose my joy, it is a choice. 
Circumstances didn't do that to me because he hasn't changed and what he has done has not changed. It's a choice. It's a choice to make his goodness seem smaller. It's a choice. It's a focus of not counting him better than, right? Everything on my pile. Listen, I want to finish up with a couple of the last two points. Spend most of the time on the first one, but I really want you to see the second point as well, because there are so many of us who face circumstances far, far worse than traffic. Life and death. Pain that we'll remember the rest of our life. Suffering, brokenness, loneliness, loss, shame, fear, name it. Things that are much bigger. And it gets real, legitimately, it's a real, legitimate struggle to remember his goodness in those circumstances, is it not? That he's bigger than, that he's better than. And we need joy, but we can't produce it. So here's the second point. We need help with our joy. We need joy. And then so we need to see that joy has a source. It is a gift to be received. So we rehearse God's goodness to make more room to receive the gift of joy into our life. Look at Romans 15, 13, quickly. Romans 15, 13, it says this. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with joy. Listen, it is not something I can muster up. It's not something I can produce. It's not something I can create. It's not something I can arrange circumstances to make happen. It is something that when I need joy and I desperately need my joy restored in my life, yes, I use all the tools, but I also go to him and say, I need my joy restored. Fill me with joy. I'm asking for joy. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, of course, a lot of that may be familiar to some of us. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, and it continues. Joy is a gift. It, it, it is something the Spirit gives us out of the goodness of God and what He has already done, and we ask Him for it. And when I'm agitated and when I'm ungrateful or when I'm experiencing incredible deep pain because of a great loss, when, I, when I'm weary from the weights that I'm carrying, I can fight for joy. How can I fight for joy? By coming to the Holy Spirit, yielding to Him and asking Him for joy. And there'll never, ever be a single time where He looks at us and says, dude, I'm all out. You were at the end of the line. How many people never win anything, right? I can't go there. Don't have time. Yeah, by the time I get up there, all the ice cream's gone. Listen. He never looks at us and says, no, no, no. I'm all out because God ain't broke. His goodness hasn't changed. What he's already done, my adoption, my rescue, my redemption, my intimate relationship with him, all of that has remained unchanged. He's not broke. But it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes. I'm going to ask David to come up here and this, going to make one quick point after we do this. I'm going to do a little object lesson. 
And you may say, man, this is really, really, really simple. It is really, really simple. I'm going to get you to trade sides with me. It is really simple. And at the point of being overly simple, the reason I want to do this is because I want you to see the picture instead of just hear the words. All right, you with me? Look, this is not a sermon. This is not a sermon about suffering and brokenness and the problem of evil. That's, that's for other days. This is a sermon about where you are with God. And I'll show you where I am many times, maybe to help you. Because you see, when I'm going to let David represent God. Cool, right? Everybody good with that? All right, we're good. Listen, who he is and what he has done has not changed, right? And he continues to pursue us. And here's what I do many times. I'm, I'm like, listen, listen, I know you, but I don't want to talk to you right now. Because I feel like I can't let you off the hook. See, he comes in for an embrace and, and it's like, man, man, I've seen you work before, but right now, I don't trust you. I don't know if you can work in this situation. I don't know how long it'll be, right? Or, or, or he hasn't changed, but as he pursues us, it's like, God, all my doubts, all my questions, all my fears, all my mistrust, all my anger, all the stuff that's boiling up, I... I, I intellectually I think you're bigger than but I'm just not sure you can handle it right now so I'm not going to let go of it right now I'm not going to get real and use my words right now are you with me now I want you to see this here's what the truth is right here's what the truth is when we let him come in we let him come in We learn the truth that we can lament the brokenness even while we experience his goodness. We, we learn that, look, look up here, we learn that, that we can have pain and still admit that he is good. We, we can admit that that we are broken, but we can still trust his goodness. Listen, by, by trusting that God is good, even in the hard times, does not, does not take away the legitimacy of your pain or of what you're going through. It allows him to enter it with you. You use your words right here and you say, hey, I've got this anger. I've got this bitterness. I have these doubts. I have this fear. I have this shame. I have. And you can still worship him in his goodness through those tears and through those emotions. You can do both. You with me? Thank you. Tim Keller said this, the basis of Christian joy and assurance is not how much our hearts are set on God. The basis 
of our joy and assurance is how much God's heart is set on us. Last point, I want to give you this very quickly. Listen, we ask for joy. He begins to overwhelm us with his goodness. Even our staff, I was just thought about this, even our staff meeting this week, there was what, nine or ten of us sitting around the table? And we shared a number of hard things and began praying. Carrie began praying. We began, we began praying and, 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 and just interceding for those hard things. But, but then even as we did this, in some very difficult things, God began to overwhelm us with his goodness, did he not? And I began looking around this, the conference room as our staff, and, and, there, and there's two or three people on the floor, and there's, and there's well, I can't, I have to go ahead and share her name, because who else would do it? But there's Courtney singing, facing a wall, and, 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 and there's crying, and, and it's like, in the midst of these hard things, God says, I am good. We rehearse God's goodness, which makes room to walk in the gift of joy. And as we experience that joy, we hunger, we ache for that joy to be fulfilled someday. So back to Hebrews chapter 12 to close it out. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, it just says that Jesus endured all things for the joy set before him in order to be in the presence of the Father and to complete our redeeming work to rescue us. And it says this is our example. To set our eyes on the joy that will be fulfilled. That's Advent. The joy that is to come. As we experience it now, it just makes us ache and hunger for more. But right now we're in this in-between in this broken world, and so we have to come back to him again and again and again and again to live in this joy because the world tears at us like a kid tearing off, wrapping off of a Christmas present to reveal what's inside, does it not? And the world tears at us in so many different ways to reveal what's inside. And, and suffering is not good. It, we, we're not, listen, none of us should seek it. None of us want it, avoid it if we can, but in it, we can learn of God in a way that we can't in any other. And it reveals what's inside. It, reveal, it can reveal a deeply rooted, unshakable joy as we depend less on the world and more on Jesus. The last thing, listen, we are born of the Spirit, and He gives us and fills us with joy as we yield to Him. Because why? Because the victory is won. Listen, you, you, you've heard, we've heard us say this so many different times. We are not fighting for victory. We're fighting what? From victory, right? It's the already, but the not yet. The victory is won, but we're not in the locker room left so, uh, yet. So let me leave you with this image. 80% of you probably don't care about college football, but let me leave you with this image. I had a friend of mine text me from the Michigan-Ohio State game. That's a big deal in college football. Michigan finally beat Ohio State after whatever, 100 years, whatever it was. And so my friend, big Michigan fan, was, was there at the game in Michigan. He texts me a picture, and there's over 100,000 people shoulder to shoulder. You couldn't even see a gap between people. I mean, covering the field, had flooded the field and going up the stands, and then all these Michigan fans celebrating. And, and, and you could see some of the players trying to fight through the crowd. Listen, the victory was already theirs, but they're fighting through the chaos. They're trying to get to the locker room, right, where they can truly celebrate without any obstacle. Where their joy will be completed. We beat OSU. That's where we are, people.
That's where we are. We're in the in-between. And the victory is already won. But boy, it just feels like chaos and things pressing against us everywhere on the way to the locker room. But we can ask him for joy. Let's do that now. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.